Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and I'd like to welcome you to our latest vodcast. And this vodcast is brought to you by popular demand. Uh, people have asked us on CTSS to explain a combination of things. One is some of our thoughts on workflow. One is some of the things we thought were interesting at the Stanford CT course in June. And just to address some of the changes that CT is seeing in this era of 64 slice CT and CT angiography. So what I'd like to do with you is sort of give our opinion. There is not a perfect absolute answer, though we like to think our opinion is almost always perfect, giving you the Hopkins experience on how we do things. And I guess my philosophy is based on two very important quotes, the first by Leonardo da Vinci, that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And what I mean by that is that anything you decide to do has not to be too complicated because it needs to be done 24 7 365. That means you have a range of different technologists and physicians and it needs to work well three in the afternoon or three in the morning. And the second quote is by uh, Peter Drucker. There's nothing so useless as doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. So simply because your operation is efficient does not mean it's done well. It may just be nonsensical. So let's keep those two quotes in mind. So what I'll speak about today is really workflow. And what I like to think about is that if you think about all of these images, whether it's cardiac, whether it's looking at the gastric folds, whether it's looking at a polyp in the airway or mesenteric uh, changes in a patient with Crohn's disease or a patient where you're looking at the upper extremity CTA or virtual colonoscopy. To get each of these images really requires planning, it requires workflow and post-processing. And one of the things I'll do with you in this talk is go through some of the basics. I'm working on another talk where I really break things down in the 10-step approach. I guess the reason it's 10 steps is because Owen, everyone always uses 10 steps. But let me speak about some of the generalities. And of course, one of the things for us is that to understand that workflow is not just scanning the patient. It begins when the study is ordered. It needs to be ordered correctly. The patient needs to be prepped correctly and ends when the information is transferred to our referring physicians. That unless the referring physician gets the information in a timely fashion, there's no impact on patient management. And so even the best study, if the referring physician doesn't get the information in a form they can use, is not going to help patient care. And of course, when all is said and done, as radiologists, our goal is the best patient care. In saying that, there's a couple statements one can consider. That scanner technology defines the potential applications possible with CT. And that makes a lot of sense. What you could do with one slice CT or four slice multi-detector or 16 or now 64 is so much scanner dependent. You may have wanted to do cardiac CT on a four slice scanner, but it really wasn't doable. 64 slice makes it doable. So what we can do is very much scanner dependent. Some things you could do with four, let's say pancreatic cancer, liver metastasis, aortic aneurysm evaluation, but again at 16 and now at 64 we can do them even better. Now beyond the data, another important thing, particularly at the 64 level, is that post-processing tools determine how we use the data sets as well as defining workflow. And so what's 
I mean by that is you need good workstations, you need to know how to use them, and the best workstations are now developing application-specific software. So when I speak about post-processing tools, I want a tool that doesn't make fancy images or spins things around at the speed of light, but I need something that solves a specific problem, it makes the solution to the task easier or faster and more accurate. It provides additional information that was not provided by a prior solution. So in saying that, what things might I think about? Well, I would think about bone editing tools where now I can edit in seconds rather than in an hour. Vascular segmentation tools done on the fly. These new coronary assessment packages where it truly speeds you up three to ten times. Stent placement packages for measuring the potential uh, accuracy of luminal size for stent planning. Or the whole idea of real-time capabilities where you do the processing truly in real time. Now in saying it, as I mentioned, you have to be able to have tools for every application. In saying that, we've been doing 3D for 20 years, and we have been changing over the 20 years, again, based on scanners, based on technology, based on our own personal experience. And there are some statements that we find fairly uh, obvious today. One is, of course, that demand for CT, and I guess that's good for all of us, demand for CT services has never been higher, but on the flip side, rapid turnaround, increased study complexity, the need for post-processing increases on a quarterly basis, but also means it takes us more time to do studies with a higher intensity. And we also recognize that decreasing or flat reimbursements uh, require an efficient operation, but we do not uh, compare efficiency with poor quality. You need to be efficient, but the study needs to be excellent. If we look at the numbers at Hopkins, we typically have been increasing CT between 10 and 20% a year, and uh, this year is no difference. We'll do about a 15% increase in body CT. When you look at the CTA components, we've been increasing about 30 plus percent, and you can see from the numbers, a very nice chart, far better than my investment chart. And even this year, where the initial predictions, at least from an economic perspective, were about a 12% growth rate, we're going to end up doing roughly about, not 12%, but roughly about 30%. And the uh, end of year happened a few days ago. Today is July 6th, but it's going to be close to 30% increase, and that doesn't include many of the outpatient studies we do for third parties. Now, there are several comments to make. One is that 3D post-processing, I think people are realizing now, is a critical clinical service across a range of applications, whether it's orthopedics, whether it's vascular surgery, whether it's oncologic surgery, or GI surgery, or cardiac surgery, or radiation therapy planning, or pediatrics. It's no longer an accessory or a potential addition or something nice to have. It's now moved into the critical arena. It's important to recognize that 3D rendering allows the radiologist to interact with referring physicians uh, in a classic sense, where you meet, you talk, you interact. In this era of electronic imaging where consultation will decrease 90 or 95 percent, it really is critical in keeping radiologists within the process of patient care. 
In terms of finances, I won't go into our financial model at Hopkins, but I will simply say that if you do 3D processing well, it is a positive financial model. It is not a loss leader. It's a very strong positive force for the department. And that's true whether you're in academics or you're in private practice. Also, in this world of similarity where everybody thinks they can do CT, whether they're radiologists or urologists or pathologists or cardiologists or any other ologist, I think 3D rendering, particularly when you're good at it, provides you with a unique skill. And in this world of teleradiology and everybody competing with you, it's really a way of providing a unique service that's critical to patient care. I think if you're going to do this, 3D rendering is best done interactively. And that's something we've always commented on. I know at the Stanford course, Jeff Rubin nicely showed how you can combine the radiologists with some support from technologists. Others basically said that it's a 100% technologist job. That is not the case. No way, no how. So the way we do things at Hopkins, we have a 3D lab. We also have post-processing in all the different sites from the ER to the cancer center to the outpatient center to the hospital. About 70 to 80% of our cases are done in the lab. The rest are done on the fly as they're needed in the individual locations. So I think it's very important to really have this capability everywhere. Because with a scan that takes 5 to 10 seconds, you want to make sure the 3Ds are available just a few seconds later. And if your workstation has direct access to the scanner database, you can have the 3Ds done before the patient's off the table. Now a popular question, and one we've addressed in the past, is who does the 3D imaging? The radiologist, the, the radiology technologist, the 3D technologist, the uh, outsource the studies. Uh, people have called me from India uh, that have companies there that will do the 3Ds for you. Well, what's the solution? Well, first thing to comment on is at Hopkins, we have the best technologists, and our technologists are key to our program and anybody's CT program. They're our most critical resource, and they're truly key to the 3D program because acquisition is where it's at. If I don't get a good data acquisition, the 3D studies will not be any good. But in saying that, we prefer a radiologist-driven model. Our techs know how to do the 3D. They can help the referring clinicians if we're not around. But the radiologist needs to be the one driving it. And it's not just driving it. It needs to be hands-on. And I mean hands from bone to vessel to skin to muscle. You need to be doing this as a hands-on process. It's interesting. We've been doing 3D, as I mentioned, for roughly 20 years. And when I would speak about 3D in the past or post-processing, people would say, ah, you guys can do it at Hopkins. Oh, we're never going to do it. It's just too limited. The capabilities are too limited. By the mid-90s to 2000, people were beginning to say, well, kind of interesting, but... You know, I don't know how to do it. The training has been very difficult. Uh, I don't have time to be trained. It's too difficult to use the system. Systems then got more friendly. Training became a little bit more available. At our Hopkins courses, we have hands-on training at our 3D meetings. We have it available also at our other meetings. And now when people complain this past year, people didn't say it's not worthwhile. Well, because everyone now really believes it probably is worthwhile. They didn't complain that it was, uh, they weren't trained. What they complained was system availability. We have 20 radiologists. We have one workstation. How do we get around that problem? And that's a good question, and I'll 
share with you some thoughts in a moment. Now, a question might be, why do many sites not have the radiologists do post-processing? Sometimes it's a lack of training. Sometimes maybe the radiologists aren't smart enough. That's only a joke. Of course the radiologists are smart enough. I think other real issues probably relate to time. You're in a very busy group. It's hard to get the other work done. How do you develop something new? Again, it may be an economic issue or it may just be a time issue. Too much work, too few radiologists. But again, uh, it's important to recognize that many of the things that were felt to be gospel, that uh, um, it was too time-consuming, really aren't issues anymore. Now, one of the reasons I say you have to do the processing yourself is that if someone else does the processing and you look at the images, you're looking at the images of what they thought they saw. When you look at the literature, there are a number of articles where 3D wasn't that good. And sure enough, those articles were select images generated by technologists, and the radiologists then read them. Well, in order to do better, you have to do the rendering yourself. And in a few of the articles, when they went back and looked at the images themselves, they found most of the mislesions. Again, reality is that 3D is interactive. It does not take too long. It's a critical part of many studies. And again, system availability is probably an issue, but I think with client-server models, this will be less of an issue in the very near term. Now, people often ask me, what do we send the referring physicians? It's really all sorts of things. It depends what they want. We'll always send them color prints. We try to deliver it the next day by 11 o'clock. If they're not at Hopkins and particularly cardiac, we will federal express it to their offices. We send images on PAC. So anybody who has connection to our PAC system and any of our sites can look at the images basically instantly. Now, one of the things I have found in terms of this whole post-processing is referring clinicians now like it so much they want to do it themselves because just scrolling through images is not enough. They want to see the 3D, whether it's in their office, whether it's in the clinic, whether it's with the patient, or whether it's in the OR. So I think a challenge for all of us is showing people how to do it, and we've spent some time doing that, and it is a challenge. And it's been more of a challenge when you go to this client-server model, where you take it away from single high-powered workstations and distribute it through the enterprise. Because if everybody or a large number of people have access to the 3D and 3D capabilities, it will change a lot of how things are done. Now, this client-service rollout, uh, Siemens introduced at the Stanford course uh, web space, for example, TerraRecons had products that address the client-server model in the past. Uh, GE, other companies are looking at similar things. Well, this will be a change, and it will be a challenge for all of us. Again, the client-server model, more users per system, lower cost per person. We increase access for radiologists and non-radiologists, potentially in every location. The capabilities typically on the client-server are less than on a classic workstation, but for many applications, particularly viewing and slide interaction, it's far more than enough. Our feeling is that this client-server model will really provide the 3D understanding throughout the enterprise. And again, the big problem with buying fixed workstations is simply cost. 
and you could probably have a cost on a client server model as a, a percentage, a significant percentage less than a fixed cost installation. My feeling is where things will go will be a combination of both. You'll have fixed workstations and a client server model. The 3D lab will survive for a lot of the crunching of data. But again, you'll see a lot of the referring docs, they'll get away from not just film, which they have gotten away from, they'll even get away from packs. They'll be in the 3D world routinely. Now, there is some questions that people did ask me. Uh, does making availability to referring clinician challenge our central role? Can it potentially eliminate radiology? I mean, these are truly difficult questions. Remember, uh, Elliot Siegel wrote the article about PACs decreasing consultation by 90 or 95 percent. This is an issue, but I think the way you solve the issue is being the master of the domain. No one ever stopped technology. Technology will continue to evolve. You can't stop change, but what you can do is you can master change or guide that change. And that's why the model is radiologist driven. If you have technologists do it, well, anybody can hire technologists. Think ultrasound for a second. Think MAMO. Again, it's a radiologist driven process. We must aggressively pursue post-processing and to quote Steinfeld, truly be the master of this domain. With that, I'll stop. If you have any questions or thoughts, uh, get back to us. And if not, I hope to see you next time around. Thanks very much and have a great day.